Dorm with my now regular fantastic co-host, the handsome Cal McFadden. How are you doing, mate? Doing well. Um, looking forward, of course, to being back on the show. And I'm sure, um, oh, I, guess I feel like I say it every week now, hopefully finding some, some positive angles to discuss United this week. But as always at the moment, it seems to be pretty tough. Did I catch you sleeping on a job there? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Your arms is partly. You were sleeping on a job, weren't you? Um, <laughs> listen, uh, yes. Um, hard to be positive at the moment. Um, of course, United, after drawing against Villa 2-2, rather predictably in the sense that once Villa scored, um, it was relatively predictable that at very least the second one was coming. Um, you know, I was reading about Ranić's record the other day. And I'm reading that he's lost one game as he needed a manager. Um, it's possible I read that wrong when the shrooms kicked in right before I read it. But I just assume that's correct. How in earth does it feel like he hasn't won a game? <laughs> because that's what it feels like to me. I'm looking at this going, you needed somehow managed to make even wins feel like defeat. <laughs> or you're like, you know, I... I can't really remember the last time I thoroughly enjoyed watching United and at the moment I dislike a lot of the players because a lot of the reasons why they're failing are unforgivable to me. Now, it would help if United ran the football club coherently. I have to say, I have to backtrack on some things, Calm, and I'm no longer certain, right? I said at the summer that I felt like United were making progress as a football club. I felt like there was finally, uh, you know, so a joined up messaging coming from there, there, there was a coherence from and a, a, a cohesion from the top, you know, all levels of the football club, where all of a sudden there was a where, where all these parties had found a way to support each other, work together, achieve their own agendas without um, it being a zero sum game, business versus football. Uh, difficult, to, difficult situation to uh, to marry, but I think I thought United had done a good job, and I genuinely felt come the summer they were close. I looked at, you know, I thought with the signings United had made, I felt like they had significantly strengthened the team. What was encouraging about those signings was they were joining United for the right reasons because they were close. They were sitting second, um, not not far off. And these are players that wanted to come. Yet one transfer window later, we're back to where we started. How do you convince a player? Let's say if you're a top player right now, Colin, right? If you're a top player, you have choices for the top clubs around the world. How on earth do you convince that individual to sign for Manchester United? Now, when you look at some of the players United have missed out on, I'll notably name two of them, Bellingham and Holland. I ask you, would Bellingham and Holland be the players they were if they joined United? Because I look at the players United have sent. How many of them have improved? You know, I, I, I'm almost convinced that United could sign Holland and within three weeks he'd be caught and had a donkey's arse with a banjo. I'm serious. <laughs> like, I mean, you look at this, you're going... There's something, you know, and we say this over and over again, but it's true. Clearly, there's something poisonous inside the football club. Because the other thing that you see a lot of, Callum, um, you used to see signings come in and start really well. You know, we saw that with Martial, we saw that with Di Maria and lots of players that come in. And then they taper off as the... You know, the, 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 the natural, the, the, the sequela of, I've been trying to pull that word off for weeks, by the way, to sound smart, and I just did it. The natural sequela <laughs> of, a, of, of a toxic atmosphere inside the football club. And that this is what happens. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Ranik hired a uh, psychologist. Let's go and have his work cut out for him. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's it's just a, a strange situation now. To, to to obviously talk about the players that um, have come in. Two two I want to mention are, are younger players who have been given 
um, coverage of as as the players that have a lot of potential and Palestri and uh, Ahmad. I mean, we're talking about these two guys who one out and loan Palestri, the other one in Ahmad would have been out and loan had it not been for injury. And by all accounts, United want to to find a loan for him between now and the summer, probably to the English Championship. You think to yourself, United have spent probably I'd say, I think it's circa fifty million pounds anyway on these two young players to really, let's be honest, not get a sniff of first-team action. Um, young Anthony Alanga, to be fair to him, has come in and, and earned a few starts and a few um, sub-appearances, scored a, a goal in the Premier League already as well, which is credit to him because he's still young and developing. But it just makes you question, why on earth are United spending around £50 million on two players who play in the same position as another young kid who they clearly rate highly in Alanga, who under Ollie and now under Ralph Ranić has been given exposure to, to first team. I mean, it, we talked about joined up thinking uh, last week and something uh, something that United badly need. Um, that doesn't show joined up thinking for me. And as you say, it's, it's a strange, strange time at the moment. I mean, you, you gave us the statistics that Ralph Ranić has only lost one game as United manager, but it certainly doesn't feel like that, which is, which is strange to, to have to say. But... Even that Villa game in the cup, I mean, we, we all finished that game thinking that was that was lucky, wasn't it? And then mm-hmm. you, you summed it up, Phil. As soon as Villa scored at the weekend, um, Jacob Ramsey, you just knew that second goal was coming. And I'll be honest, when the second goal went in for the equaliser, I was mm-hmm. thinking there's, there's still a few minutes in the clock here. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get out here alive, as it were? So it's it's definitely a strange time. Uh, and and as you say, in regards to joined up thinking. <laughs> With the beauty of hindsight that we have now in January, uh, maybe we gave them a wee bit too much credit because, to be fair, on paper, the three signings in the summer um, were fantastic. I still think they, they should be good buys for United. Ronaldo, mm-hmm. certainly, for, for the small fee that he came in for, given his age, has repaid that. Uh, Varane's shown signs, um, albeit he's just not been able to stay fit to show up more consistently, that he's a top centre-back that we knew he was, hence his record and his CV in the game. And to be honest with you, Sancho's probably the one out of the three that I'm most concerned about, as I'm sure we'll discuss. But again, has shown a few flashes, albeit I really do emphasise the word, the words few. Yeah, we'll get to Sancho in a minute, um, because to me, Sancho is uh, a perfect example of why you needed Sennens of field. Um, and so... Let's take a look about a couple of things, right? <clears throat> so we talked about United being really close in the summer, right? We felt that, you know what, they're not far away. They're sitting second. Um, and you, all you can really do is judge on the evidence that you have. And when we looked at that team, we thought Luke Shaw on form at that time was one of the best left backs in the league. No question whatsoever, Right. Remarkable. Solskjaer deserves enormous credit for that. Got the best out of Luke Shaw and Art, and he's the only manager to do so. Right? So, <clears throat> Harry Maguire was playing decent stuff. You know, he's not Berezi. Harry Maguire is not going to improve as a footballer. Right? Harry Maguire is a decent centre-back, not a top-class centre-back. Harry Maguire would not get in City's team, would not get in Liverpool's team would not get in Chelsea's team. And the only reason why he's getting in United's team is because they spent 80 million on him. If Harry Maguire came through the ranks at Manchester United, Harry Maguire would be fourth or fifth choice centre-back. So there's that problem. Lindelof, who I feel doesn't get the credit he deserves, who I think is a better defender than Harry Maguire, by the way, right? He has weaknesses in his game, but he's not a top-class centre-back. Right, decent centre back, not a top class centre back. Those are a top four centre back pairing. They're not a centre back pairing that's going to win you a European Cup. They're not a centre back pairing that you can build with any type of confidence in the back four from and say, okay, that's settled. They're not a back four that you can say, do you know what? Most teams are going to come at us with certain attributes. These they they, they match up well against their strengths. Right. They're not going to get found out. There's a, there's a prescient clip from Paul Merson made that I think is really, really important where he talks about Maguire and his limitations and the fact that Leicester defended deep on the edge of their box. You know, play a high line and he's going to get caught out. And I'm sorry, but that is absolutely spot on. Right. He's ponderous, slow, constantly caught out. 
of possess, he caught out of possession. His passing's atrocious. He uh, is. I'm trying to find an attribute here that labels Harry Maguire top class, and I can't find one. Now, it, I so, think the sorry. thing that sums him up, Phil. Um, a lot of people talk about the the nickname Slabhead and the fact he can head a head a ball. I mean, in the modern game, if that is what uh, defines you as a top centre half, then whoever's saying this must have went in a time machine because maybe in the, the early 90s, um, and again, I don't even mean for United because guys like Bruce could play. Uh, obviously, you had Pallister and others as well. They, they could play as well as defend, albeit defending was first and foremost. But if, if heading the ball a far distance is the main attribute for a Manchester United centre-half, then people need to, to really consider uh, why they would say that's a strength because... United are not going to be facing teams, even in the Premier League, when you look at some of the teams that are lower down the table, Leeds, uh, Brighton um, and others, they, they try and play football the right way. You know, you don't see the, the the sort of blood and thunder, big man and wee man up front of uh, Sunderland um, years ago with Quinn and Phillips, etc. You don't really see that anymore. So people that compliment Maguire and the fact that he can command a box and, and have heading ability, for me, that's actually bizarrely a sort of criticism when you consider he's at United, because if that's the main attribute to your game, then why on earth are you at United? Because it's not going mm. to be well served for the Champions League in top four level. Yeah, well, and I think one of the biggest indictments for me, Callum, is that man's not a captain, right? I want to see him be successful, right? I take no pleasure in any of this. I really would like him to be successful. But, Callum, I think as far as we have a right to be upset at certain people and level of criticism, it's not abuse, but criticism, and call it out as we see it. These people are in occupations that are that are high profile. That is going to result in two things. Praise on a level that's not commensurate with anyone else and criticism on a level that's not commensurate with anyone else. But these players know this and they're exceptionally well compensated for this exposure. Okay? And they're happy to use that exposure for branding purposes when it suits them. They're happy to use it for labels, for marketing reasons. But then when that monster turns around and bites them in the bum, because they forgot the one thing that's the most important thing that why they're there, they're a footballer, then they don't like it. Now, I don't advocate abuse. But if you're being criticized for things that are fair, you have to take that on the chin. Right? And it's not nice. But here's the thing. I'll tell you what isn't nice. When there's people like me getting on an airplane, flying 24 hours across the world, leaving their families behind, their friends, everything else, at enormous personal cost, sacrificing themselves to then go and watch a game of football in the freezing Manchester arena and they can't be bothered to show up. That's not nice. They're going home in their heated seats to their million two million pound houses of their families and they've instantly forgotten about the poor sod that's outside soaked their skin with his kid that had to pay for that right especially in the current climate we are and everything else the nuisance that people have to go through to watch this football team they're entitled to vent their spleen from time to time that comes with the territory when you're in a publicly profile, a public job with a big profile. So, especially if you're club captain, you don't hide and you never say something like, I'm only here because I have to be. That suggests you want to hide. That's not a captain. You take responsibility. Stop with these social media uh, apologies that are basically the same rearranged words. You've read one, you've read them all. Um, I go through the rest of this team. Wan Bissaka. Can Wan -Bissaka. I just quickly ahead, mention on Maguire? Maguire, to me, Phil, comes across in the best way I could say, like a substitute teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm only here because I have to be. And, the, uh, and when he even speaks... 
Now, if Manchester United in the mid-2000s had a terrible performance, um, and even under Ferguson it did happen from time to time, you knew that you had Roy Keane would speak to the press, or whether it was written or whether it was broadcast, and he would say something that you as a fan could read or watch and say, he cares. He might have been awful and rubbish today, but he cares, and he's going to do what he can to make sure this doesn't happen again. And if it does... There will be five people who will be be scared of him because he'll be red in the face while he's he's giving them a row and, and tell them what he expects and what the club expects. When Maguire speaks, as I say, the reason I use the analogy of a substitute teacher is it's a case of, oh, here we go again. There's nobody really paying attention. And as terrible as it sounds, I actually think when Maguire speaks about United, it actually makes you feel worse. I mean, I think his latest statement on the situation, obviously Fred was one of the first to come out, I think his was posted around half past ten at night, and I think that sums it up. I think even United know that we we can't really put this guy out at peak times during the day. If we put this out at half ten at night in the morning, we can cover a couple of training pictures, and and nobody will really pay attention. And I think that's the most damning indictment. The fact that, in my opinion, as a captain, your words have to matter to those in the dressing room, and I think they also have to matter to the fan base because, let's be honest, whether it's Ollie, whether it's Ralph, whether it was Mourinho, Van Hal, Moyes, even Sir Alex, there's only so many times you can hear from the manager. You want to hear from someone inside that dressing room who has an influence on that park, and unfortunately for me, as I say, when Maguire speaks, it actually makes me sink into my seat and think, oh, things are even worse than I thought, and that's the biggest criticism I have of him. He doesn't instil me with any confidence in terms of his mannerisms on the park, the way he speaks. And if that's how I feel just watching through a television screen most of the time, how on earth do these uh, players feel when they're on the park and on the training ground? Because he looks a shadow of mm. the player that was once spoken about as being this elite centre-half that United mm-hmm. were signing. An absolute shadow. Come, he has the face of a teenager that was sent to his room. I swear to God, you look at him, his whole body language, I mean... I don't know. I, I I think we're about another day away from Bono making a song about him. I know. Is it so tragic? I know. I I, I just I look at him. I'm like, is he being held hostage? It, it just the, the whole body language of him is just unbelievable. It doesn't. You know. You it's, it, when you're when you're in a difficult situation, whether it's on a football pitch in life, you find a lot out about yourself because you get stress tests on who you are as a person, on your capabilities, your discipline, your mental discipline, your your self-belief, you know, everything gets tested. And you'll answer certain questions whether you want to or not. And one of those questions you get asked is, can you fight? Right? Now, you will answer that question one way or another. You'll answer it on your knees or you'll answer it on your feet. And you're going to get asked this question numerous times in life. And how you answer it depends on the outcomes in your life. And see, when I look at Harry Maguire, I look at, I see something that I see in a lot of United players. They're too comfortable with losing. They're, they're okay if they lose. They've justified it to themselves so many times now, it's not a big deal anymore. That the excuses that once would have offended them no longer do. Because in a team game, it's so easy to blame someone else. And that, you can see, is going on inside that dressing room. Bruno Fernandes' body language again, and only played, played well against Villa at the weekend, I thought he did okay, was terrible again. <clears throat> and I don't think he's someone that's comfortable with losing. I don't think Ronaldo's comfortable with losing. Right? But I see a lot of United players that are totally okay with losing or with a glorious draw or a glorious defeat. Because these are people that don't define themselves by trophies, by personal accolades. These are people that define themselves by their Instagram followers. Now, to be fair, who gave them that impression? Who was it that turned around and said, Manchester United are adult Disneyland? Who was it that turned around in the most, in some of the most recent uh, investor calls, talked about Twitter and Instagram followers and how much they grew. You know, why is this important? And you want to know why? 
we have a problem in this football club of players who want to do anything but play football. You want to know why Manchester United don't look like they have any direction, that there's any coherent conversations going inside that football club that are producing anything that looks like a team? I mean, if you look at United, mate, at the weekends, it's not that they're bad. They're so astonishingly bad that I sit there and go, how inept do you need to be? If you turned around any fan in that stadium and said, tell you what, I'm going to give you nine years, okay, at the helm, and you're going to get a billion plus to spend. And that's what they're going to look like after nine years. I am certain that you could get people and say that's the to do a better job than that. Now, if you look at Ranjik, mate, Ranjik's success is with smaller clubs, right? Not with big clubs. If you look at his success, it's getting teams promoted, right? What he did with Leipzig is a very, very, very different model than what he's going to be asked to do at United. What he did at Leipzig was akin to what you do in a football game, a video game. Saying young players develop sell. That's their metric of success. That's okay. But that's not what you do at United. And when I look at someone like Jadon Sancho, who was not bought to play in this system, and I would imagine whoever comes in behind Ranić is going to be similar in mindset. Otherwise, why do this at all? And why even spend the next six months trying to adapt to a system that you never want to abandon? One of, all of a sudden, when I look at someone like Jadon Sancho, what stands out aren't his strengths, it's his weaknesses. Again, a player bought for a system, but you needed no longer a player. And then I look at Donny van der Beek, and I've given up on Donny van der Beek. I don't know what he was bought for. I don't know what system he was bought to play. I don't know what his failures are. Because they must be catastrophic if he can't get in that United team. I mean, I'm sitting there going, why is he still there? Why was he bought? And then I have to listen to Ranić. Apparently Ranić today done a presentation basically saying that the entire defence is garbage, this, 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 this. Who did he give that presentation to? The people who bought those players? Now they're going to be responsible for replacing them? I mean, I've heard about imposter syndrome, mate, but if they don't have it, they should have. Absolutely, and and when the substitution uh, board comes up and, and there's 88 minutes on the clock and Van der Beek ponders onto the park i'm actually beyond the point of being angry now i just i just laugh and i just think (laughs) it's just it's it's like it's like a testimonial match and you get a fan who's maybe uh, put a bid in for a couple thousand pounds to to play along with his heroes i mean the board comes up with two minutes to go and i just chuckle to myself and think what on earth is going on with him and I said it before, he must be the most inept player in training in football history. Now, obviously, I don't know that. I'm only speculating, but there's got to be something. It can't just be an attitude problem because he'd be gone by now, as you say. And the thing that makes me laugh, Phil, is the fact that Ranić only about a week ago was talking about players. Yeah, I understand Dean Henderson and Donny van der Beek would like to go, but there's a lot of games coming up and I'd like to keep him as part of my squad. And you just think... Uh, I, at times I just feel like you don't know who to believe you know one he's clearly not getting the game time Fernandez is suspended he's still not trusted when Fernandez is suspended they would rather play Matic which to me just just sums it up you know um, and then obviously the situation with Martial where Ranić comes out and says Martial's not in the squad because he refused to play then Martial's going on Instagram within mm-hmm. an hour of the game finishing undermining the manager and apparently he's back in the squad for Brentford the whole thing mm-hmm. stinks and yep. you, you mentioned it at the start of the, the, the programme 
No joined up thinking. I talked about the examples of Palestri and Ahmad, two young players to play in the wings who don't get a game in the wings, but one of the players that was already there developed with the club is getting games ahead of them. So that's 50 million potentially. You just think, what on earth are we doing with that? Then you've got the situation, as I say, managers, the manager's talking about players that don't want to be in the squad and then the player goes and contradicts that within an hour of uh, full time. We've got, as we've said, Henderson and, and uh, Van der Beek. No, they're important members of the squad. Henderson doesn't even start a third-round FA Cup match, mm-hmm. um, albeit as I, I'm, a, I'm a massive De Gea fan. I think he's been really good this season. I'm, I'm glad to see him between the sticks. But he doesn't even start the FA Cup third-round match, and then Van der Beek's getting two-minute cameos, and you just think... there's uh, Communication is something that a club the size of Manchester United is, is, you, you, is norm, can normally be quite good at in the sense that... If there's a new signing made, the press release is out there, it's prompt, it's well-worded, everything's everything's there as you'd want it to be. But somebody at the club has to be saying, look, there's no joined-up thinking here. This is making us look pretty stupid now. Something needs to happen. I mean, just I don't want to make a, a too much of a political point, but Boris Johnson today in the UK broke lockdown rules last year having a party and he said, uh, I, 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 I wasn't aware I was breaking the rules. And you just think to yourself, you made the rules. And it's the same with this Van de Beek situation and others. Oh no, he's going to be a key member of the squad, but he gets two minutes and you just think, what on earth are you talking about? And that's not just Ralph Ranick. That's been, been Ollie as well, Michael Carrick. I mean, so many people have talked a good game for the lad, but he's just not been given any opportunity to the point where, as I say, I'm beyond, it sounds terrible, I'm beyond caring now. I just, I just, I just find it laughable, utterly laughable. Well, I mean, I, I just don't understand. Make a decision. If Danny van der Beek is not in your plans... Because of some, we, we, Mark Ogden puts a state, uh, uh, article out today saying that um, <clears throat> Van der Beek's not in his, you know, his plans because you know he's too slight, this, that, the other, some damn and stuff. Then why is he still there? If this is United's findings after a year, why wasn't he allowed to leave this summer? I mean, what were they expect that he was going to do? Come back like the rat after after the the summer? I mean. And then Solskjaer, see, see we're, we're asking the question, who signed him? To me, that's irrelevant because United could have sold him in the summer. They had offers to sell him, Everton and everything, and didn't, kept him. And in some sense, I sort of feel for him. Like, okay, if you don't want to play me and you think I'm crap, you think I'm not good enough, fine. But let me go. You know, if you take a look at the way United handled the whole Romero thing, Callum, they didn't exactly come out of themselves covered in glory there either. Bizarrely held on to him and refused to play him. Dean Henderson being left out to me was more of a statement than anything else. Um, you know, Dean Henderson, here's what I'm going to say, mate, because I think this is, I don't fault Dean Henderson for wanting to leave. He should want to leave. Absolutely. You're not playing. Leave. You shouldn't be okay with sitting on the bench. This is why when I hear 17 players want to leave, oh my God. First of all, every single country, team in the country, is going to have players that want to leave for the same reason. They're not playing. They should want to leave. Okay? Primary responsibility, number one, is to play football. It's not to be a Winston Bogart. For your younger fans, you won't know who that is. But <laughs> guy who went to Chelsea... Well, massive money at the time. Didn't care about playing. Just cared about picking up his wedge. Right? One of the biggest criticisms we've had of United players in the past is the fact that they don't leave and they're happy just to pick up a wedge. Right? They're not, they don't care that they play. They're, the club is filled with players like that, man. I love Juan Mata, but Juan Mata shouldn't be here. Right? And I can name you seven or eight players like that. The Jesse Lingard situation is a disgrace. Right? Jesse Lingard either play the guy or bin him now. But this West Ham stuff, see, what the fans are crying out for is someone to stand up for the club. Someone defend the f- football club. Someone stop this. Because you see that Jesse name Callum? It looks like the, mom, mom, the mother and father have gone out and the babysitter's done a runner because it just looks like chaos inside where there's no direction, no structure. And, you know, if you're Ralph Ranick <clears throat> and you're dishing out bollocks 
unless there's legitimate real life consequences, they're just words. And what can Ralph Ranick really do? Say to a player, you're not going to be here beyond the summer if you don't buck up your ideas. Well, nor are you. And I outlasted the last couple of managers, and I'm pretty sure I'd outlast you. <laughs> this is where the gut check comes for United, you see. Right? Paul Pogba, if Paul Pogba can get the same contract that United are offering him somewhere else at a top club, Paul Pogba is going to leave. So United are sitting there at a disco when I sincerely hope she doesn't say yes to every single other guy that asks her and I'm the, I, I get taken home tonight for lack of a better option. Grow a spang. Well, if United are at the disco, I think everybody's wondering how on earth Lee Grant's still on the decks because <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to be dig Lee Grant out here, but I've never heard of a of a team having four established goalkeepers. Now I know Lee Grant was never you would say but he was third choice. He was never going to really play, but what in it? I mean, think of the amount of money United are just spending on goalkeepers' wages per week for the first team. Well, what I don't understand, Cam, is they're saying, "Oh, we we can't let Henderson leave. We need." Three goalkeepers. Then why is Lee Cranter? If you're not counting him as a goalkeeper, is he getting a community outreach program? We here. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, then give our money to charity. What's he doing there? Right. The, yeah, the, I mean, I saw him holding up a uh, substitute sign last year. But made the clubs fill with people like that, right? Because absentee landlords, these people. They don't really have the stomach, Callum, to run it as a football club. They don't have the experience to run it as a football club. And when you've got, it's even at boardroom level, individual interest trumps the collective. So when you've got the people at the top taking home a few million a year, why do they care if they're not winning or not? They're compensation is not directly related to Manchester United being successful on the pitch. I've said it before, i said it again. Winning football games is not the most important thing to a football club, and it shows. Now, there's some wonderful people that work inside that football club that I love dearly. I think are brilliant people, and you know that. And, and, and uh, you know some of these people, they're great people. And most of them are not earning massive money. They're just earning decent money. Right? And they don't deserve the abuse that comes that way, because it's not their fault. They can't affect change. But the people that can affect change have certainly had no problems hiding behind those people. Count. <clears throat> we're talking about Ralph Ranick as a consultant, right? Now, let's just say a couple of things. We know for a fact, you can criticize Louis Van Hal for a lot of things. But one thing you can't criticize Van Hal for is he knows the player when he sees one, right? right? If you look at the guy's track record at Ajax, Bayern Munich, Holland, Barcelona, certainly better than anything Ranić's done, right? Did you never listen to, to, to Van Hal? No. Mourinho, did they listen to him? For a while, right? But when Van Hal was telling the players, saying certain players, did they listen to him? No, right? Moyes arguably has a better track record than Ranić, right? So it's not about having good information. It's not about having competent people tell them what to do. It's about following that instruction. And that's always been the issue. And this is why I have my doubts that even if you needed hard Zidane and Guardiola to share the job, there'd be problems because it's not the information it's how they execute it's how they go about following that instruction because somewhere along the line someone's ineptitude makes a mess of it someone you know we were sitting here listening to Richard Arnold talk about things that are blatantly obvious we're going to give more autonomy to the football director well why haven't you done that already <laughs> I mean who we can criticize murder if you want, but who above John Murder's head that's wearing a suit is qualified to tell him no? His football 
uh, assessment is wrong. Now I want you to imagine you need to turn around and say to Ollie Solskjaer, here Ollie, see now that Woodward's out the door, take the chief financial officer's job there on an interim basis. <laughs> I know you're not qualified for it, like, but you have a go at it. Nay, why would you need to not take that risk? Because they value their returns more than they value points. Certainly don't, uh, when they're hiring people for the financial side of the football club, hire people with no track record experience. I know they have a little bit of cronyism there with their friends, but they're still qualified people. I mean, uh, anyway, listen. Finish my point by saying this, okay? Um, then you can go on. So, going through this United team, as I was saying, Wambasaka. Now, David Ahead gets, David Ahead is the best goal in the Premier League, in my opinion, right? I take him over Allison, anyway, right? Addison, don't care, right? You can argue that if you want, right? But we're splitting the hairs either way. <clears throat> Wambasaka. <laughs> Would Wambasaka get in any title chasing team in any major league across Europe? No chance. That's what Keane said. I don't even think Palace would take him back. Well, mate, what on earth has happened to that lad? I mean, it's not that he hasn't made progress. He's gone backwards. And then I go look through at the rest of that team and go, would Scott McTominay get Chelsea's team, Liverpool's team? No. City's team? No. Now I like McTominay. Good player, right? But Fred? No. Good player, but um, world class? No. Will he get found out against the top teams? Probably. Sort against PSG, right? Um, Sancho. Certainly the Sancho with Dortmund, yes. Right? Martial. Well, not the Martial we've seen the last two years. Cavani, not the recent Cavani. Uh, Mason Greenwood, same thing. Rashford, no chance. So how many of these players at Randick's disposal are truly world-class? We have to be careful because a lot of these players get hyped for Brandon reasons. So I think... uh, Maybe we've been overrating some of them. Maybe Solskjaer comes out of this with a lot more credit than most people are going to listen to this and they're going to hate that I said that and I don't care. Because Mourinho said his greatest achievement was finishing second. Now I know why. And now I know why it was arguably always too. I think that's very fair. And the main concern, just to make a point on Ranić, the main concern I have is that he takes on a consultancy role when there's board meetings in a soundproof room and he's screaming at the top of his boy voice outside it. You know I mean, he can scream till the cows come home, but is it re- is, is it going to even be heard? I, I, I don't know. Um, the traje- trajectory of the last decade suggests not, but obviously Richard Arnold is, is singing from a slightly different hymn sheet to Edward, Wood, but you would argue politically um, and from a PR perspective, he simply would have to. Um, it would be a bit silly if he didn't. So it's easy to say, as I've, I've said on so many shows recently, it's easy to say you will not influence football decisions. But when you get handed the keys to the candy store, are you going to be tempted to pick up a bar or two of chocolate? The answer to that is probably. Now, he, he, might, he might prove me wrong. I hope he does prove me wrong. I hope he delegates. I hope that United do have a coherent plan in place from uh, beyond the summer under Arnold's uh, stewardship and that the club can go on to have joined up thinking in the market with a manager, sporting director, the whole lot. But do I see it happening? Well, absolutely not at the moment and nothing will change my mind until I see action. There's only so many times United fans, and we've been saying this for years, Phil, but particularly with ownership, um, there's only so many times you can hear words that you need to see actions. It's very easy for Joe Glazer to put out a statement and say, I'm going to meet fans, I'm going to discuss this. And and, and, and again, it's easy to sit on a Zoom call with fans who are thousands of miles away and promise them the world. But until you show some sort of action, I don't believe you. You don't have any credit in the bank. You simply don't. And in terms of the playing squad, 
I agree with you on De Gea. I think he's had a good season, back to some of his best form. Bissaka, absolutely agree. Um, as you know, I do a show with Willie Morgan, and Willie Morgan's comment on Phil Jones was, as a former professional footballer for United myself, I was delighted to see him recover from his injuries. I would never wish an injury on anyone, even a, a, even a, a tough opponent who I didn't like when my playing days. However, he shouldn't have made his comeback playing for United. He should have left United before the bad injury two years mm-hmm. ago when he was contract was getting renewed. He said, I'm delighted to see him back, delighted to see him healthy. I wish him all the health and happiness in the world. But the fact that he's even having to come back to play for this United again is a damning indictment. Um, you, you think of the Pogba situation. I mean, Ralph Ranić today spoke pretty positively about Pogba, saying he's going to be ready to return to the first team fold in the next couple of weeks, that he's excited to see him back. The thing that I'm worried about with Pogba, and, and I don't mean to use this uh, comparison in a completely disrespectful manner, but the best player I think I've ever seen um, when he was on loan at clubs was Emmanuel Adebayor. When he went on loan to clubs, he was like a world beater. He would be scoring goals, he'd be tracking back, there would be assists. And the moment he got that permanent contract, it seemed to be any club, whether it was Spurs, whether it was Arsenal, he just completely relaxed and went back to his same old self. And for me, that's what I worry about with Pogba. Is he going to come back now from February to May and put on a blistering eight-game run and then get the four or five-year deal on 400 grand a week, 500, whatever it might be, multi-millions anyway? and then revert back to type. Martial, for me, and, and, and you, we've talked about this for numerous years now, is exactly that kind of player. For five games, he looks at the best player in the world, and then you don't see him for 15, and fans have still got the five games in their mind, so you say, give him another season, give him another six months. It's too late for that now. There has to be ruthless calls in these players. I mean, the Lingard situation, as you said, is completely baffling. Why he's been kept at the football club in the summer to barely be used. Why he's going to be staying, it looks like, to the summer to be barely used um, if, if current patterns remain is, is, again, completely baffling. The Van de Beek situation we've talked about being baffling. It's, it's a strange, strange state of affairs. I mean, the way I look at it, and I'm not just saying this because I've interviewed him, and to be fair, I think it would be too early for him. Ethan Laird's been loaned to Bournemouth, who are top of the championship. Are you telling me he couldn't do a better job than Juan Bissaka to the end of the season. Now, obviously mm. the club know that better than I, and and to be fair, they've made they've made a judgment on that, and they don't think so. That's why he's at Bournemouth. But as a fan looking at that glaring weakness on the right hand side of the defence, you think well, you need to try something. You just simply need to try something. And in terms of the centre of the park, I mean, no United fan, but I don't think any United fan anyway is going to be fooled to think that when Paul Pogba's fit and starting again, United are suddenly going to go on this great run and be a coherent team. Paul Pogba's an exceptional player on his day. You see for France, when he's surrounded by Kante and others, that he can be a leader, that he can put in performances at the very highest level. He's won a World Cup, for goodness sake. However, at United, it's not it's not happened consistently for him. We're still debating his best position. The fact that there's six months to go, as I said in the show a couple of weeks ago, and there's not clubs battering uh, Mino Raiola's door down and his phone ringing off the hook to say, we'll offer him this, or oh, a bidding war. The fact that there is none of that sums up where Pogba is at the moment. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I think he will go on a blistering run of eight to ten weeks because he knows if he does, he's either getting a big contract from United to tide him over to his mid-30s or he's going to get it elsewhere. But, is that going to solve United's problems? It might for eight weeks, but I think you're going to be in the same situation next season because whoever comes in as manager, whether it's Ranić that stays, unless we see actions rather than words in the hierarchy of the club, things are going to remain the same. There's And I hate to mention it again, I'm a broken record in this one as well. I, I love Darren Fletcher, Phil. I'm a Scot. I'm a proud Scot. Mm. I love my country. Darren Fletcher captained my country numerous times. I think he, I think he was a, a highly underrated player, not by United fans, but by uh, the broader spectrum of football. I thought he was a, a really talented player. Yisung Park was another who was sort of lamented as being a hard-working player, but he had far more talent than that. I do not understand, and I, I just want somebody to clarify it. Is he a coach, or is he part of the technical uh, staff? Mm. Because I just I struggle to understand. I really do. You see guys like Paolo Maldini um, involved at Milan. You don't see him in the touchline screaming and bawling instructions. He's been put in a technical director's role, a sporting directorial role. So that's his job. And he sticks to it. Leonardo, for all his faults, falls out with a lot of people in Paris, as, as, as Jonathan Johnson, our good friend, and others will tell you. 
but he's in the stand, and that's where he is because mm-hmm. that's his role. Fletcher's role traditionally is one where you'd be in the stand shaping futures of clubs, but instead he's in the dugout. And to me, the other thing, I'm just just while I'm on a rant here to, to end it in a humorous note, who on earth is Chris Armas speaking to in those earphones? <laughs> every single game I watch it and think is he listening to some soothing Dido music to get through the second <laughs> well a couple of things uh, first of all with Dan Fletcher listen we've probably got a director of football sitting in the manager's role at the minute right the guy hasn't been a, a manager for quite a while um, so there is no coherence when it comes to what exactly is people's job Um uh, for years, I forgot Mike Phelan was the assistant manager uh, because you never saw him in shot with Solskjaer. It was always Carrick. And he was always, you know, photobombing somebody somewhere or you know, trying to understand what exactly is Mike Phelan's role here. So much so that when I interviewed Carrick, I, interviewed, I introduced him as the assistant manager, most of my embarrassment. Um, but so who knows? Uh, as far as Pogba goes, it really doesn't surprise me that Ranić said what he said, because what Ranić is seeing, what a lot of United fans have seen, Pogba can seduce you with his talent. You can look at Paul Pogba and see a gazelle and say, this guy is incredible. I mean, when I watch United live, he was one of the players that stood out the most for his athletic ability, his quality, his touch. You look at him going, this guy should be a Zidane. He should be a Rolls-Royce footballer. He should be someone that dominates games, that controls games. He has the ability to do that. Um, Does he have the desire to do it? I I don't know. So I can totally see why you could lay eyes on Paul Pogba and be seduced by that and think, you know what? He's an exceptional player. I stand by my comment that he said last week that he was a better player than when he left Juventus than what he is now. Right, and I think they're United and uh, and Pogba are both responsible for that. Um, so I think uh, he can seduce you with his talent, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him go on a three four month run. And I hope he does, because Pogba is back in the same situation he was in last year when he had an injury, and he needed to play well to get a move. He did play well, still didn't get the move. Right, but now. A decision has to be made one way or another over the next few months. And as I said, if Paul Pogba has an offer from a top club that's at worst the same as United's, Paul Pogba leaves. Paul Pogba's still at Manchester United because his agent has been unable to get that type of offer. Um, What I would ask is, if you're a director of football at another football club, and you have a need in midfield, desperate need in midfield, which you would need to have to commit the type of money Paul Pogba wants. Right? That's a major transfer. There's no such thing as a free transfer there. And my director of football walks into me and says, you know what? I've identified Paul Pogba as the answer to our problems. Hi. <laughs> I mean, based on what? Because you can't have been watching anything in the last six months. So you're going back a long time. You would imagine it would have to be someone like Zidane. Maybe Zidane's getting the job somewhere else. Maybe Pochettino's going to leave PSG at the end of the season. They're going to bring Zidane in. Zidane says to PSG, hey, I want Pogba. That's the only thing I can see, right? The PSG, most damning thing about Pogba is the fact that we've talked about United being a commercial entity, first and foremost, mm-hmm. over a footballing entity. If you ask that question, Phil, um, what does Pogba deliver that other players can't deliver for your team? And the answer I would I would, I would, would give you is commercial acumen. Mm-hmm. He can give you great adverts. He's obviously his own emojis. He's got great social media reach. He's got lots of fans around the world. He, he has become... Don't talk me about that every, emoji. Everything that United have... He's become everything that United uh, are at fault for in the sense that the club is more focused on commercialism uh, than on pitch performances. And that, unfortunately, in my opinion, at club level, is what Paul Pogba has become. Did I ever tell you about the story, about um, the backstory behind that emoji? Go for it. <clears throat> so I was the first one to bring that idea to his people. 
to Rafael Pamanda and uh, the rest of that crew. And um, it was through a sports marketing agency that I was working with, still do work with them in London. And uh, they create emojis and different marketing things for athletes, boxers and everything else. And the deal that we had with them was, uh, okay, we'll create this emoji. You're going to charge a pound per the, you know, 99p for the emergency, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> we do all the background work at 30%, etc., and everything else. No problems. Right before they were going to sign off and do on this, they did it themselves. <laughs> they caught us out and went, nah, you're all right. Thanks for all that work you put in. Thanks for all the all, all the ideas, all the drawings, everything. We'll, we'll take that. So, um, yeah, you learn the hard way with those people. Um, and that's okay. You know, they're, they're intelligent people. They look after their people. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they are what they are. And, um, you know, I was a fish swimming with sharks and didn't realize, you know, you learn the hard way. Um, but um, so, you know, I, I actually... I don't fault them, but you know when you look at uh, for the commercial, um, you, these, this is an agency that manages all of their. Lots of agencies don't manage the commercial side of the business, right? But um, Riola's agency does, and they were one of the most aggressive people against the Sports, if you remember, for using Ebra's name, and uh, I remember actually talking to them about this. Um, a while ago and a few years ago and there was disagreement inside about whether they should be using the players images and all that there and obviously there's a commercial value to them because they're marketing and what have you but um, they're very savvy intelligent people and this is why I laugh whenever people try to separate Pogba from Riola's comments nothing they do will catch Pogba by surprise nothing there's going to be no comments in the media that Pogba didn't know was coming. Nothing that wasn't strategically placed. So, you know, these are people that don't do things by accident. And they certainly don't do things whimsically. These are people that think everything through. And to be fair, they had United on toast. Um, <clears throat> but um, as far as Phil Jones go, I have some slight sympathy to United in the sense that Maybe it would have been wrong to release him in the middle of an injury. And maybe it was the right thing to do. Maybe they shouldn't have paid him what they paid him. Or maybe they should have said to him, listen, we'll give you a coaching role. We'll give you an ambassadorial role. If you want to keep playing, we understand. We can't give you a new contract on 100 grand a week. Right? But we will give you a new contract if you want to keep playing. You know, but United have done things like paper play contracts for players that are constantly injured. But as far as the suspicion goes about United's medical team, you know, that Ranić talked about Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba was not the first player to distrust Manchester United's medical team. Remember, Owen Hargreaves didn't trust them either. Boston Schweinsteiger didn't trust them either, right? There's a long history of United players not trusting them. Going back to these magic Toshiba machines they got years ago under Ferguson, they were supposed to solve all the problems that never did. And as for Anthony Martial, he hasn't done anything Edison Cavani hasn't done. Because Edison Cavani picked his games, still picks his games. And there was plenty of disagreement about whether Cavani was actually fit or not fit because he did uh, physio's medical team were declaring him fit and he was saying, I wasn't fit. So, you know, I understand some of the anger towards Martial, but let's not be selective because Cavani also has done the same thing. And uh, I think it speaks to his desperation that they're willing to tolerate that and beg him to stay to the end of the season. Anyway, mate, I wish we were doing this in a little bit more of a positive note. Um, <laughs> I'm desperate for United to do well. I'm desperate for them to turn us around. I'm desperate for them to entertain us. I'm desperate for Manchester United to resemble the Manchester United that we fell in love with, Manchester United of old. But for too long now, we've been watching United do one of two things. Play so badly that they lose 
or not quite bad enough where they can grind out a win or a draw. But it's never a good performance. It's never we deserve that. It's never let's go for the third or fourth. It's always disjointed garbage. I mean, it's so bad, mate. There's nothing on that. Anyone at that football club who's responsible for what we see on a Saturday or Sunday or the weekend should be embarrassed because that's your show and tell moment. This is what we worked on all week. Here it is. That's it. Something seriously wrong here because that United team should be beaten by every Premier League team because there's nothing. If you scout United, I know we said a week weeks ago about Guardiola or Kevin De Bruyne, but if you scout United, what threat are you identifying and saying, this is where we could lose the game. This is where we need to worry. This is where they're dangerous. This is how we need to line up to counteract this. You can go and completely impose yourself on the game and not worry about what's coming back at you. Right? All your, because you can't, you can't prepare tactically for individual brilliance. That just happens. Right? You can lower the probability that it happens by keeping away from your goal and everything, but how United win games or even take something from a game has nothing to do with the execution of tactics. It has to do with someone making a mistake or an individual piece of magic or the other team not punishing United. Like Wolves, who should have had United out of sight, didn't. VRL should have had United out of sight, didn't. Right? We can go through so many games this season. We never been let off a hook, steal something from it, and the result is an imposter, as Zavi once said. Really, really concerning, mate. It is concerning, and the thing that worries me with Brentford, um, and I, mm-hmm. the fact I'm saying that when we're talking about Manchester United, again, is just a damning indictment. Um, Brentford against Arsenal bullied them in the first game of the season. They've got uh, a few players that have got long throw capabilities. Would you trust this United team if it gets into a physical battle? Probably not. And then you look at them when they played against Liverpool. Um, they completely changed. Um, and tried to play more direct, uh, especially through the channels to beat the press, particularly when Trent Alexander-Arnold was pushing forward, as does Andy Robertson. Um, so if, if Luke Shaw is flying forward against Brentford, then don't be surprised that they uh, will be going quite direct to try and expose that area on the on the left-hand side. And if Maguire is the one who's playing on the left-hand side at left centre-back, then we could be in for a long evening. My main worry for United, Phil, is that we go behind early. Um, I say that, I suppose you could see United play at their best when when they have to react, which is bizarre, as we've talked about numerous times. They rarely start with intensity. Um, they're very, very rarely proactive. It's always, almost, almost reactive. So I, I do worry if United go behind in this game because, again, I can't believe I'm saying it because I don't want to be disrespectful saying it's Brentford, but I think if United go behind early, it could get ugly. And I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm completely wrong. I hope United come out and start with intensity. I hope they score, United score early, stamp their authority in the game, get a bit of confidence and show everything that they didn't show in the second half against Aston Villa. But at the moment, um, I don't have any confidence in calling for United win. Uh, I'm actually going down to the Middlesbrough game in a couple of weeks. We've spoken, obviously, before, Phil, about if United drew Morecambe or Cambridge or whoever it would be in the Cup, you'd be worried. I'm actually, I wouldn't even say that game I'm going down to is going to be a foregone conclusion either, never mind Brentford. So it's definitely going to be key at the start of the game. I think United simply have to start well because Brentford, to be fair to them, have brought a great atmosphere to the Premier League. And if they go ahead early, then I think it could be a night of sitting watching the game from behind the sofa but again as always we want to be positive I want United to start with intensity I want United to play coherently I want to see United be able to keep and retain the ball as simple as that sounds because that's something that United in my opinion are abject at compared to the the top clubs and certainly compared to City and Liverpool anyway watching Pep Guardiola's Man City and comparing it to this United team it's like watching a whole different ball game as Sky famously said in 92 when uh, when they launched the Premier League, it's like watching a whole different game. City can keep the ball for 20 minutes. I mean, United will be lucky if they've got 20 passes in 20 minutes, some of, the, some of the way they've been playing recently. So I hope it's more hope rather than expectation. If you were to push me and say what do I think it'll be, 
I think it'll be a draw. I don't think United are going to win this game. I hope I'm wrong. hope it's 4-0 United. I hope it's all singing, all dancing. There's uh, excitement. There's goals. But I just, I just worry about the game. I think it's going to be tense. And if I was to really be pushed on it, as I say, I, w- I would be seeing a draw. <clears throat> we shall see, Matt. Um, truthfully, uh, I hope it's a good game. I hope it's entertaining. Um, after that game of the weekend, I think I'd rather lend Rolf Harris my laptop no much of the game. But um, we will see what happens, mate. We'll leave it there. Thanks as always, uh, Callum. Uh, good luck with everything, mate. And uh, thanks for doing this. Don't forget to check out this man's amazing interview with uh, Deschamps Bernard. Uh, you interviewed him the other day, didn't you? I did. It's going to be released tomorrow. Um, so follow me at Callum WFI on um, Twitter and it's going to be released on uh, World Football Index, hence the WFI in the Twitter handle. So thank you very much. As always, Phil, look forward to the next one. And hopefully, hopefully, we're going to be talking about a totally different United side. Um, I've just showed everyone against Brentford what they can really do. But uh, pigs may fly, as we say here in Scotland. And if Brentford win, um, just remember it's only United. Too easy, <laughs> folks. <laughs> yeah. All right, man.